guests this week are Bag Money, two friends of mine that have been part of a lot of awesome projects over the years and have formed into this new duo. It was a real pleasure sitting down with them. Before we kick it off, I do want to say that this next Baltimore show is going down on April 20th with B. Dolan, Mental Static, and more. It's going to be Real cool. Then we got the Wraparound Robin tour coming up. Uh, the May dates with P.T. Burnham and Easy Jackson have been announced. Check out HeightWithFriends.com. The art this week, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. in. Uh, I was born here in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, for the first five years of my life, I uh, we lived out on Wolf Island, uh, in the middle of the woods. Then when I was about five, shortly after my fifth birthday, we moved to northern Quebec, about 10 hours north. I don't know if you know where Timmins, Ontario is, but it's about four hours across the border into Quebec. Uh, so it's like... That's where Shania Twain's from. It, Shania Twain is from Timmins. That's yeah. absolutely where Shania Twain's from. Um, so it was a little mining community called Cadillac. It's between Val d'Or and Rouen, if you're familiar with those booming metropolises. Um, I, we lived on a mine site. Uh, my dad uh, was working for a mining company. We actually lived on the mine site. They shut down the mine site when the price of gold uh, dropped, and then we were the caretakers. Uh, somebody recently Whoa. was like, uh, well, that must have been a lot like The Shining. And I was like, I guess it kind of was like The Shining. It's like... Uh, they're like, oh, I, I, I guess your dad is kind of like Jack Nicholson. I, I don't know. In the late 20th century, I think everybody's dad was like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but uh, we moved back to Kings. No, then we moved to Timmins in 83. Uh, we were there for about a year. And then we moved back to Kingston, Ontario in 84. And I've mostly been here since. I, I lived in uh, Toronto between 2000 and 2002. But uh, from 84 till about now, except for that, I've been, I've been right here in Kingston. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. What about you, I, I grew up nearby, kind of while well, I was born in Kingston. Didn't really get that far away. Yeah. I kind of, I grew up almost halfway between Kingston and Tamworth, where B. Rich is from. Yes. In this, another booming metropolis uh, near Moscow, the smaller Moscow. Uh, <laughs> was there a lot. I was also in Toronto around 2001 to 2003. And then moved back and have been in Kingston ever since, doing this Kingston thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, when did you guys meet? Uh, Monday Night Raps. Monday Night Raps. Well, I think like we, we met. We met before then. There was uh, in the late nineties. I was part of a DJ crew called the Makeshift Beat Collective, and around that time, you guys started doing the Slaves of Spanky thing. And I think I couldn't remember if it was the the Wellington or Scherzo, which was in the same location but different venues slash businesses. And there was one night where. Makeshift Beat Collective. I can't remember if it was 99 or 2000. And Makeshift Beat Collective and Slaves of Spanky did a shared night. Um, but we really hooked up. It was, I'd say it was 2003. There was a, a DJ night. 
that friends of ours were running on Monday nights at the Scherzo Pub, and it sort of turned into a rap night once. Uh, when, once we started once showing we started up and rapping, up and rapping over beats and stuff, <laughs> and we call it Monday Night Raps, and uh, that's really where we uh, started working together, hooked up. Well, that it was during it was during that year around 2003 when uh, I was living just around the corner from yeah. the venue, so I was I would show up every week and do some raps and whatever stuff, and I would I had this little micro cassette recorder, so oh, I'd, yeah. I'd take it with me and I'd record stuff, and I had recorded some of your your grandpa. Exactly. Raps, and I went home and like transcribed one of them, and went back like a week or two. You showed up the next week. He's like, he's like, I I got something for you. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a cover song. And then I did one of his songs. (laughs) That was the first time that ever happened. I was like, holy shit! He's like, what the hell is just happening right now? I remember halfway through. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say that that led to um, the the guy who was working the bar on those Monday nights. Yeah. uh, Daver, shout out to Daver. He was like, well, why don't why don't you guys like let's make a record let's make an album and that eventually turned into the first grandpa album yeah uh called pop it up son yeah that we recorded i guess that came around the corner 2004 so like i i i recorded like Like i engineered it you had a bunch of beats already i had some beats carm uh aka uh uh beeper aka uh, mr b nauseous uh he he made a he used to have a bunch of beats for me and then I made some beats with him, and then I think I had harassed you one night. We actually made some pre-Pop It Up Sun demos, because one night all, uh, after the after the night, I was like, well, why don't I just come to your place now and uh, we'll record some stuff and rap. And uh, yeah, so that was the beginning, and then we put out Pop It Up Sun. So that was 2004. So yeah, we've been... Our first recording was... That was our first recording together. Mm-hmm. So Makeshift Beat Collective, like, was that maybe one of the first rap things that there was in Kingston? The first, I think you guys were... I was working on my raps, but I, I started writing raps in, like, 95, but I don't... I didn't really, like, bust them out. Like, I'd bust them out here or there, but then 2003, when we were doing that night, that's when I brought out Grandpa. Like, I'd been developing Grandpa for eight years, but I started... Mm. I, I broke out the DJing thing way quicker, so I think right. you guys, slave, meaning Slaves of Spanky, were actually one of the first rap crews that i saw in kingston because i yeah. i'd rap occasionally but at th- in those days i was do- mostly doing like scratch dj routines and like uh you know weird experimental hip-hop and stuff like that so you guys were definitely i definitely had, one of the first rap acts i saw i had seen a couple rap acts before before i can't remember if it was before spanky started or before we started really doing rap because we were doing rock and alternative stuff yeah briefly before we switched to Balls which I rap. think everybody does, which is, I think yeah. is what I did too. Because I, could, I read, there was this crew called Deuce. It was two guys play rapping over beats. Um, I want to say there was another one. I can't remember the name of it, but Deuce, Deuce for sure would have been either pre-Spanky or around the same time as when we started yeah. doing rap as well. And actually, uh, I got to say, uh, an act here from Kingston, the Van Allen Belt, sort of paved the way mm. too because uh, they were more sort of, uh, which Mark Frazier... Uh, who still drums for you guys in, in Slaves of Spanky, he was a part of that act. And uh, they were sort of like, a lot of it was sort of like math rock or like weird progressive uh, angular stuff. But Jay Jolly uh, would always do like a sort of rap delivery. And they were one of the first acts I think I saw in Kingston that actually used uh, a scratch DJ on stage. And and towards the end of their, towards the end of their, uh, their, their career, their existence, I sort of, they asked me to join in as sort of like, 
hype man uh, DJ slash weird electronics guy. Oh, um, cool. So that was one of my first like ways to get into like making that type of music in Kingston too. Because yeah, I'd made a lot of sort of alternative noise punk weirdo stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Before I before I sort of got into DJing and rapping and making beats and stuff. Hearing you and B Rich, who might secretly be sitting here, um, like <laughs> like like when he did his episode, like. It was interesting to hear him talk about, like, these, like, very early productions and stuff, like... Totally. Like, like you guys making beats and raps in, like, a time and place where it wasn't really, like, a oh, thing yet. Nobody, yeah. well, no, yeah. nobody in the... Especially back in those days when we, like, we weren't even in Kingston then. We were out in the woods in the, right. surrounding, the surrounding areas and... No one else was really doing that at the time, anyways. Yeah, that we were aware of. Like beat wise, like what was your first thing? Like, like how did you start making beats? Yamaha DD10. Yes. I got, I was at high school, and I always liked rap music. I, I don't think I did any. I didn't. I didn't produce much of it before this one fateful day. This dude. Was I just kind of flagged me down in the hall at high school, and it was like, you know, it's sticking out of his backpack. He's like, "Hey man, you want to buy a drum machine?" He's like, "I need, I need this, like, I need twenty bucks to like, to like cover like the debt for my drug dealer or something like that." Oh. And I was just like, he pulls it as this big clunky monster, got speakers on each side, like, and giant plastic pads and stuff. Google Yamaha DD10 for further information, but he pulls it out and he, I think it was like 15 or 20 bucks he wanted for it. And I was like, I'd be really stupid not to buy this right yeah. now and got it home and plugged it in. And I was just like, no fucking way. I think the, fir- <laughs> the first few sets I saw Slaves of Spanky was like you, you and Brendan and uh, that drum machine. And that was it. We like, brought it. That, that was what we used live for, a while anyways there was two presets there was 99 presets and it was 99 two of them were great and then we would the rest of our set we would program on the fly there was two user presets mm. so we had we had two beats in the bank and then two ones that we'd have to like okay we're gonna start this song hit the metronome right, right. and boom bang <laughs> you know bang out this beat that we had for a song and they're like okay go and we'd have like a guy playing bass over it or something and yeah it was uh cumbersome for for me the whole the whole reason it was the makeshift beats collective or the makeshift beats aesthetic was i didn't this would have been like mid 90s and i didn't know or you couldn't get your hands on like an mpc or i think ak samplers were around but they were like people wanted 400 bucks for them uh computers they had pentium too so i didn't really start making beats or hip-hop till i understood it i was like oh okay you take a stretch of a record and then you sample that and loop it but i didn't have the gear so I'd have like a, a Hitachi belt drive turntable and or or something like that and a tape deck and I would sit there and listen to the stretch of music and I'd actually make pause button tape edit loops on right, a cassette right. player mm-hmm. and just do that over and over again because, you know, it was the 90s or at least here in Kingston, Canada, nobody our age had jobs or could get jobs. So you were just like, I would do that for days, you know what I mean? Just like making beats and you try to find a stretch that was long enough that you didn't have to. It wasn't like half a bar. Yeah, and but I got I get down to half bars. Like then I work my way down to two bars, work my way down to a bar, down to half bar, and I was recording on like I made a first wave of beats like on a tape deck, and then 
someone brought over like a an old big like 70s uh, Tascam four track, but that pause button had a delay on it, so I'd have to compensate and learn the <laughs> delay. So it was right, whole, right. the whole like the whole makeshift thing was like this is not gear. At the same time, like everybody's parents had all this extra uh, like 70s great like tube amp. You know what I mean? Like all this discarded gear that gear that nobody thought was any good anymore. Um, and so it was just like using old technology or equipment to make beats. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily, it was years before I, I got my fingers on a technique 1200 and I was like, Oh wait, well this is way easier. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> so, I can actually scratch with this. And stuff. <laughs> so would you display like, uh, like in, in a live setting, would you like play these beats on? I would, I would, uh, the first time I think I did a, it was more so house parties was the first, uh, time i break out like the beats and it was so it was more like a sound system type of setup like we'd get a mixer and i'd get like two belt drive turntables and like a cd player or a tape deck and then i'd feed like i would make an entire tape of beats so i didn't have to worry about like mixing or changing up the tracks and i knew that was my backing track and then i would just put like get weird electronics records or like the sounds of sea animals or waves or jungle birds and just play those like over top of them type yeah. of thing. And, uh, so I did a couple house parties like that. And then, um, when I did this stuff with a Van Allen belt, it was more like I would, Jay Jolly would lend me his techniques and I'd bring like, what's the little sampling keyboard you have? The, the classic Cas- one. Casio SK five. Yeah. I had one of those and I had, um, uh, this Yamaha keyboard called the Ratmaster, which is basically a toy for kids, but it had two little crappy DJ wheels on the side and was just basically a keyboard, but it had this thing called the voice effector, which uh, you could like either make a really high pitched voice or a really low pitched voice. And I'd use the high pitch one a lot. Um, so like sort of basically a cheap, weird vocoder type of thing. And uh, yeah, I'd use that stuff. And then once the DJ makeshift beat collect could start going it was like four djs i would usually set up four turntables and was more straight like djing at that point right right yeah. right and and pete for you like how, like at what point did you get more into this like sample based kind of stuff probably i guess probably around when i was in toronto because before then I, w- I just had uh brendan always had little cassette four tracks and yeah. stuff and we would use the dd10 or whatever else we had for beats so we we it wasn't a lot of sample based stuff at first we'd, we'd have a beat like a drum machine beat or whatever <clears throat> but then we just play live instruments over it we played we played bass and guitar and whatever else and turntable scratch and that kind of stuff but then i moved to toronto and i actually had like a, a computer that was my own that i could use and stuff so i started i think i started just buying um there was a couple magazines you could get. They were from the UK, but each one, each one would come with like a sample CD in it. It was like a you know twenty bucks for a magazine and get like oh I had piles of those get like yeah, half, lots of half a gig worth of drum samples or bass samples or something like that. So yeah. I, I started buying those regularly and just using those at first uh, to to make beats uh, in Fruity Loops. I I still use Fruity Loops. It's like it went through so I think I started when it was Fruity Loops version two or three and they went through eight or nine versions of that and then changed to FL Studio and now they're on version twelve. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but that was that was the program I started with and it really just kinda 
clicked with it, so I, I was stuck with it. But I would get, get these sample CDs and bring the samples in there, and then eventually started just recording my own, whether it was me playing something or me out with my little micro cassette recorder, and yeah. I, would, I would combine a lot of like other elements, and I'd be using the sample CDs to make like the actual drum beats, and then my instrumentation would just be weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot's changed there either. <laughs> and that was sort of like when we first met. I there was the first Grandpa album has a lot of Carms beats and uh, some stuff I made with them. It's about half your stuff. I think and half there's Carm four. and I. I yeah. think there's four beats on there that are mine. And uh, this the second Grandpa album. I think there's maybe like one or two. There's two of Carms beats. Yeah. And uh, yeah, once I started working this guy, I was like, okay, you can handle the you can handle the beat stuff because you're you're way way more intricate than. Uh, than I ever got with stuff type of thing. So. And that the year that the Monday Night Raps around was it two thousand three two thousand four, that was when I was living around the corner from this venue that had it had the that show the weekly show. I basically did nothing but I worked four days a week washing dishes and I'd get home at midnight. I'd make beats till three in the morning. I'd sleep till ten. I'd get up. I'd like make some more beats and then I'd go to work. Yeah, like I. It piles. That, that year I made so much stuff and I've never really kind of been back at that kind of level of output. There's probably, <laughs> I, I think there's beats that we're, we're using for the new Bag Money album that, that you recorded. They're probably from, from that, that era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never understood how it worked. Like, with Slaves of Spanky, like, were what the band was playing, like, was that like an interpretation of a beat that you had? Or? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, the band that were that because Slaves of Spanky, the basically every every aspect of the band, aside from us two guys, has changed a billion times. We went through a whole slew of drummers and bassists over the course of like six or seven years. Uh, we spent a bunch of time with like us in a mini disc deck yeah. as our backing band. But then, yeah, in in two thousand five. We got with with uh, most of the band we're with now. Uh, there was a bass player rotation a couple years later, and it's kind of it hasn't changed since. So those guys were were the ones who were kind of more like, "Oh, you've got a song already, and you have a beat for it. Let's try and play that beat live." Right, right. Or we'd come to them and just be like, "Here's you know, you, you guys make something up, like right, play right. play something that's like ten times more hype than this kind of weird beat." <laughs> that I had made for this song before, so it, it's it was it's cool to it's cool to see both sides. It's cool to see them try and recreate a beat right. that I had made, which is usually very drum and bass heavy, anyway. So the drummer and bassist would do this, and then our guitar player who played keys for a while too would kind of he'd either try and emulate something else that was already in the beat or just make something else up completely, and it was fun. Yeah, on, on gas money there, your your 2005 release. There's probably a combination of the two, right? Like, yeah, and it's that. Yeah, that album's kind of a good representation of that because there's we recorded probably half the album at this farmhouse just north of the city, and a lot of that was on on beats we had made. And I think each day we were out there, we'd have different different dudes come in to play different stuff, and we'd record it and use some of it and whatever. And then the other half of the album we recorded at this house. Uh, in town um and that was mostly with the full band kind of right, thing right. so it was when we put it all together it's this nice kind of mix of like beats and the band and like other people we've sampled and stuff and, and like 
Brendan and I were discussing last night, like, how fucked up touring Canada is. <laughs> and, like, like, like what was... Because I feel like that... Was that maybe the peak? That was, like, when you guys were doing the most tours, yep. right? Yeah. And well, then how for, did you, like, feel about it? <laughs> for, for Slaves of Spanky, that was when we did our only touring. Really, <laughs> yeah. Outside yeah. of Ontario and brief jaunts to Montreal and stuff. Right. Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, yeah. at the time, we are like, sweet, we're going on tour. And, like, I don't have a lot of experience. I basically have no experience other than, than that and, like, shows we've done. And on, sometimes we'll do, like, a weekend right, in Ontario. Right. We'll do, like, more than one show and that kind of thing. But, like, experiencing that where we, we went to the West Coast, what, three times? East Coast? Sorry, East Coast. Yeah. The other. <laughs> the other <laughs> one. Went that way uh, three times. So that's... Like that's all I really have to go on, and it's when when you're in Canada, it's a lot of driving. Oh, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of time in the van between shows or between when you leave home and get to your first show and that kind of stuff. So then I see like like you guys and oh, yeah. like you doing your thing and Shark Tank and like people who are like going to Europe and stuff. And there's like there's, there's so many better places. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not and not even better. Like the the thing about touring in Canada is and and I'm largely basing this on stuff Beast told me because he's been there and done it but when when you go out of your way and you drive all these hours to get to these like weird backwood places like everyone's just so stoked that there's a show yeah <laughs> you know, as, as as much as it sucks to be the one putting in the hours behind the wheels and stuff and getting to these bizarre venues and god knows where it's chances are there'll be some people there be like fucking show like right so right. hype <laughs> yeah <I>, uh, <laughs> i've only done the one one east coast tour out to canada with my old band jab and yeah, was, at the same time it was amazing and exciting i was kind of like I, I never want to do this again i'm i'm more of a fan of doing the one-offs like going up to going to ottawa or toronto or montreal or or somewhere you know close and then coming back staying with friends and then then coming back mm. but uh, yeah it was i probably you know probably ended up playing a lot of the same places you guys played like Fredericton, there's probably you know like yep. there's only certain places you play or and some like you said some some towns are really hype like Sydney K Breton that that place was was crazy you end up in Moncton and there was staff in the bar and that's it right so you never know and we were I was too young you didn't know about you know matching up with local acts right to yeah. help promote or or when I was going the internet wasn't as as busy or as uh, as well used as as it is now so. Uh, but yeah, hats off to anybody who does it because. Uh, or you end up touring in the middle of summer and you hit a. Exactly, a, a that's a exactly town. yeah. College town, and all, right, all the kids are gone. Yeah, yeah. it's like shit. So, so you didn't even feel like that was like something. Well, you I, at the to time, do our, my band at the time, Jab, we sort of had this this backer, this guy who, uh, who uh, you know, he recorded a bunch of albums for us and uh, Henry Goodrum. Hats off to him. He's a great. He's a great gentleman, and uh, he sort of bankroll the tour but i remember realizing like well if we didn't have you know a backer for this uh we would have lost our shirts you know what i mean so uh so uh yeah we didn't know we ended up in the same situation like you're coming through in the summer and people are like oh you should come back in the fall and uh for me it's a lot of uh but at the same time the east coast of canada is beautiful i've never been out west but uh i feel like the drive is even more uh uh, arduous or uh, yeah. you know intimidating there like you're driving even further to end up in in uh sault saint marie or uh you know wherever you know what i mean you're, you can drive for days before you even get out of ontario right yeah. so so it's a big country it's it's continent sized right so yeah we were talking last night about like 
uh, Western Canada shows, like, it's like, okay, this worked out great with the viral hit and, like, these guarantees. Yeah. And it's like, but, like, if we had just decided we had wanted to go out there, like, uninvited, yeah. it it's like, how much of a disaster would this yeah. be? Yeah, you just kind of show up and you're like, we're, well, here, we're here to play the show. And right. You're like, you're like really? What show? <laughs> we, had, we had that exact situation happen. We had the really weird situation. Like, And I think a lot of places we ended up with guarantees and places to stay. So that, that worked out. But we had the weird situation of having a third party book our tour for us. So he told us, these are the dates. Uh, we mailed out, back then you mailed out press packs and we actually mailed posters to people. You know what I mean? Right. And we would get to each and every venue. We would get to the venue. Our posters would be up, and the management or staff would say, oh, we weren't expecting you. Because the guy, his buddy hadn't called back to confirm. Like, he'd, he'd called, made the initial call, talked to them about the date, but and then it never followed up, had told us the dates were booked. We mailed out our press packs and our posters. Get to the bar, the posters are up. They're like, we weren't expecting you. So we'd have to renegotiate at every single venue. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. I feel nowadays you can probably do a lot more stuff yourself. Or we learned, like, well, we could have done that ourselves, right? We thought. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that that sort of tarnished the experience a bit, too. And it's and it's a long drive. Like, we left here. They were still living in Toronto. They picked me up here, and we drove for, like, 16 hours, you know what right, I mean? Right, Before right. we even got to Halifax, we were, we were, like, hitting towns right before Canada Day. Or there's always something going on, Acadia Festival, Potato Festival, and all the motels were booked, and... <laughs> We were we had been awake for like a day and a half, you know what I mean, trying to find a place to stay, and we couldn't. We drove around in circles in this town till the cops pulled us over, and we cheered, and he said, "You're lost, aren't you?" <laughs> and uh, so yeah, there was there was a lot of good experiences, but uh, by the same at the same token, I was a lot younger then, and I feel like going a lot more business minded now than mm. than I did back then. But uh, I like home as well too. So uh, yeah, I kind of fall into that boat as well. I like like I like doing it. I like I really liked getting out there and doing that stuff. And then at home, I'm just like, yeah, this is cool too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hats off to you, man, for 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 doing it almost constantly, right? Oh, so. respect. Well, and as the time goes on as well, like when we did our tours, I was in like mid mid twenties, and I'm in my mid thirties now, and starting a family and all that kind of stuff, and it's with the mortgage and the kid and it's, yeah. Not things you can just kind of totally be like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, fuck off for a while and uh, yeah, <laughs> same like, you know, got a job and a and a place, you know what I mean? And so we we find the time to you know make the music and do local shows and stuff. But uh, but yeah, even my 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 other band Owl Farm, we for a long time we were doing like the weekends or going out of town, and I haven't done that in years now because uh, you know you're coming back from Peterborough or something and the van dies, you know, and then there's that, and so. You know, it's just, yeah, I don't even find the time to uh, do out-of-town shows that often anymore at all. Yeah, so it's more like like a recording. The Grandpa albums and everything are yeah. more like a recording project. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah. the Grandpa, that was one of the first, that, that tour with Jab out on the East Coast, that was one of the first times I broke out the Grandpa thing. That was... Uh, yeah, wouldn't you do it as an, Did you do it I was as doing it as an opener, yeah, because yeah. sometimes we get to venues, there wouldn't be an opener, so I'd be like, well, yeah, I'll, like fill out, I'll fill out half hour, you know, doing that, but... <laughs> Yeah, so no, the uh, the new thing is uh, bag money. It's like, because yeah. we got Captain Cook foot bags, and I was, I'm Grandpa, a.k.a. Crack Money, and about five or six, I've lost track. Sometime after Grab Your Ball, which was the second Grandpa album, yeah, I, I realized we'd never really done an album or an act together. Well, I think it was, it was when we were making Grab Your Ball in 
that came out in 2010. 2010, I think, yeah. Because cause I engineered that, and, and I engineered that one as well, recorded, edited, all that kind of stuff, and it was on my beats, and from doing that and listening to it a million times and knowing the previous record so well, it would get to the point where wherever he would, whenever he would get a show, yeah. I would just be hype man. I yeah. show up, I'm like, I, I know the songs. And vice versa. Like, <laughs> like, it got to the point where like we, we'd go do shows where someone would ask you to do a set as Captain Footbags and ask yeah. me to do a set as Grandpa, and we'd I'd do, be hype man for you, and you'd be hype man for me. We'd basically, we'd do a 20-minute set where like one guy said more raps. We'd switch iPods, yeah. and then we'd do another like, half <laughs> yeah, an hour right, right. where the other guy said more raps. So eventually, I was like, well, this is silly. Why don't we... And then we did a lot of shows just as Grandpa and Footbags. Yeah. Uh, together and I was like well you know then I got the idea for the bag money concept I was like well you know we haven't really recorded a track like other than maybe uh, lottery tickets on uh, because you'd been putting out your solo albums too right other than lottery tickets on grab your ball on the grandpa album we there's not a there's not a track that we're on together I think I recorded a verse for slaves of spanky thing way back that we never really did anything with but I was like we need to do some we need to do some stuff together you know what I mean so totally like when did this night come about that you guys have been doing? Oh, that's just that's just a recent thing, yeah. And that's yeah. that's mostly me and uh, Shenanigans, who's uh, you know uh, my significant other there. Yes. Um, uh, that was just more so like uh, I used to do a lot of DJing. Uh, like I said before, I was started off. That's mostly what I did was DJing um, a local venue where we do most of our shows now. Uh, the Toucan, where we just did the the show with you the other night. Um, it's great because. They offer a guarantee. You don't have to charge cover. So especially when when acts touring acts or friends like you are coming from out of town, we're like, well, hey, we know we we can get you some cash. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just more fun not having to harass people at the door. Yeah, work the door all night. Say you know, ten bucks, five bucks, ten bucks. Uh, there was an opening. There was a, a lady who was doing the. They've been doing the hip hop Sundays there for like. I think Gary Zapp was the first guy, yeah. probably late nineties. So coming up on twenty years, they've had a, a weekly hip hop night there. And uh, there was a vacancy coming up. Um, the lady who was doing it before, it's been various people running the night over the years. I saw online or on social media that she was leaving. And I thought, huh, I'm going to swoop in there and and do a weekly DJ night again there. I used to work like a few years ago. I just decided like I would rather work two or three jobs than worry about making money for music so I can do the music I want and the shows that I want. Yeah, because uh, I used to like years ago. I used to try to make half an income, like um, making music or performing every night. You end up doing open mics and and DJ nights or playing with bands you don't want to play with. You whatever know what I mean? comes along. Whatever comes along. And a few years ago, I was just like, I'm gonna work two jobs and make my money there and make the music I want to make and do the shows I want to make. Uh, so over the past several years, I, I was in the habit, probably six years there, I was in the habit of working two jobs, at least yeah. during the winters. I'd, at the same time. At the same time. So I'd work a day job, go home, nap, work a night job. And I was getting really tired of working my night job. And uh, I did the math and I was like, if I can find a little way to make a bit of extra cash, I can, you know, kick it to the curb. And then that uh, the DJ night came along. I was like, oh, okay, this would be a fun way to, uh, uh, you know, get out and, uh, you know, do a hip hop night, but also not have to work my night job. So we, uh, it's different than it used to be. I'm going more of a digital route. I'm like using MP3s and like triggering samples and stuff, uh, overlaying some stuff. It's pretty basic, but, uh, shenanigans put together like a, a projection show every Sunday. Yeah. Like we were doing the other night. 
And, uh, you know, we tried to turn uh, dingy Irish pubs into like a... Takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. Well, so, they, I mean, that's sort of what you're you're stuck with in Kingston. When I first started scratching records, it was like, well, what venues do we have available? It's like you end up, dingy you know, DJing and, and uh, <laughs> not not to disrespect the Toucan and say it's a dingy pub. It's a, it's a great that's, venue that's very good to us. But, I mean, that's what... That's its charm. That's its charm. And that's what you've got in Kingston is, is a lot of Irish pubs. So, uh, yeah, we try to bring, you know, a bit more of a light, bring some lights, some lasers... Uh, project weird, weird cartoons and stuff like that, and make it a, a bit trippier environment to, uh, which is so easy to do. And I'm surprised more people don't do it. And and there's a great response. People are like, oh, I used to, you know, very first week we we're doing it, some guy was like, oh, I used to play, you know, uh, house music and uh, do a house music night in a dingy pub in uh, Nova Scotia and project kung fu movies. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's just it's just what everybody used to do. So it's more of a, but for me, obviously, like the. Uh, the '90s are a big influence on uh, on my approach to music or and hip hop in general, right? Because uh, so it's uh, so that's that's a, a big influence on uh, on uh, my aesthetic or my style. You know? Yeah, as I I really loved hip hop music. Like I was exposed when, like I said, I lived in the middle of the woods in uh, in the early '80s, and we didn't really move back to Ontario until or into a, a city until like '84, and so I hadn't really heard rap music and. I remember a kid at grade school trying to explain to me what rap music was. It's like, well, it's like there's mostly a drum beat and they scratch records and these guys like talk kind of fast. And I was like, oh, okay. So, but I didn't really start making music till, which I always thought is still a pretty good description of rap or hip hop, right? Yeah. But uh, I never started making music till, or rap music. I started playing guitar in, in the late 80s or in 89, but I didn't make rap or hip hop till I understood it and that wasn't until like 95 or 96 and I was right. like oh okay I get it now uh, even if I liked it or, or listened to it I was like I, did, I had no idea it's like first time I saw a DJ it was like the first time you, you see a guy play guitar you're like I have no idea what he's what he's doing to make those sounds but I'm going to figure it out you know? so, yeah so yeah the Sunday night the Sunday night is uh, where I'm going to do that uh, later tonight it's been a great uh, fun weekly night to uh, to dust off some music and uh you know uh, a lot of people are like why don't you play newer stuff i'm like well there's not a lot of new classic rock either you know what i mean so (laughs) for me it's like for me the classics are uh there's a lot of good new stuff coming out and i do play some new stuff but uh you know it's at the same time you're introducing you know younger people to maybe a lot of older jams that they haven't heard yeah the thing people like oh i didn't know any of those and i I really liked it so uh, yeah it's been a lot of fun that's uh Mm -hmm. we'll have to get you in for a guest spot down there sometime Gotta stay up past my bedtime. Yeah, exactly. It's rough. A lot of oh, I thought it was the three of you guys doing it. It's it's, it's mostly me and Sean. I'm, I okay. do the music and uh, yeah. and shenanigans does the uh, projection. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and originally the goal was like, well, there's going to be some weeks we're not going to want it. So I yeah. talked to I'm like I the, talked to Pete or Footbags right I'm away. Like I was like, you know, guy. you want to come in and do it, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's a lot of the times it's up past my bedtime, but uh, but it's a job now. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. something fun we do. So. And I think just to kind of get on. Similar topic, off topic, saying how 90s big influence and all that kind of stuff. I think that is a big thing of why we work so well together. Yeah. Because I, very similar background, grew up in middle of nowhere. I was the only kid in my public school listening to rap music kind of thing. Like, and very similar. Like, I didn't have another kid explain it to me. I had, like, I was was in, like, grade three at the listening desk with those big clunky headphones and like my best friend at the time had licensed to ill on a tape yeah and he he puts it on and and you know we rail the headphones and i'm just I'm like what 
this this exists like this yeah. is a real thing like you yeah. gotta be shitting me and and same kind of thing like not you know late 80s early 90s yeah it was like that's that was my that's introduction stuff in. that's what i was seeking out through any any you know avenue i could find columbia record house yeah was like a major artery of like any kind of music where I was living and that kind of thing. Like I don't even think HMV was in our town for years. Well, I remember uh, even here in Kingston, like even the early nineties, like you could, if you went to HMV, there was an HMV at the mall, but you couldn't find like, and then it's like, you're reading like music publications, right? And you're like, Oh, there's this thing that exists called the Wu-Tang clan. Well, if you go to the, the, you know, the biggest record store in town, they still didn't have that shit yet. You know what I mean? So I'd have to go see a friend of mine. He opens up, a big ordering book like some wizard or alchemist and was like oh, I can get you you know and people started looking at me weird when I started ordering like $27 dub albums you know what I mean like King Tubby stuff because like I thought you were like a, a punk or an indie rock guy but it's like so I, I think like, there's I a like lot of there's a there's a lot of stuff that you know there's a lot of different stuff that we each like but again there's a big common ground and stuff like yeah. Public Enemy or like Cypress Hill where which were probably really early influences for yeah. both of us even though we didn't know each other at all at that yeah. point you know? I always felt like so with Slaves I I feel like you're the the hip hop head of the the group kind of like the historian type definitely definitely from from the get go like way yeah. back in the day I can remember being with with this guy <laughs> Be rich and this one other dude. We would every once we'd be on this bus to his program. They'd be rocking the Guns and Roses and uh, God, whatever else at the time, Metallica or something. And I'd be like, uh, "So, like, you guys know the Humpty Dance? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys heard this Kid and Play album? Like, let's like check the here's put on these ear, put listen to my Sony Walkman Sport. <laughs> check this out and it." I, and getting the Yamaha DD10 when Spanky was first started, and we had like three guitars and drums and bass, and we're playing uh, like Chili Peppers covers and and Nirvana stuff and whatever. And I was just like, got this drum machine. Like, uh, you guys want to make a rap song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the same thing. We're in the same boat. Like, there's people I'd been playing music with for years, and uh, my friend Chris was like, well, I think we needed... I want to make some rap... Like, we had this four-track. It's like, oh, I want to make some rap jams. Chris, that I, I still played with in, in my band, Owl Farm, for years, who just moved out of town and just left the band. But uh, we had a four-track, and we're like, well, we're going to need a record player. He's like, I'm going to go get a record player. And that's when Carm, uh, my friend who made all the early grandpa beats, he he had all the hip-hop records. He's like, well, I'm going to bring these over. And so, yeah, it was like... Uh, yeah, going from, like, a rock, a rock thing to... Uh, more of like straight up making beats like let's make beats and then we're gonna rap over them type of thing early experiments right yeah i'm trying to remember if when when i when i brought it up to spanky i think i i had already been i had this one jam called hack up a lung that was like one of the first like i want to say legit songs where i was like i'm gonna make a rap song it was largely like yeah it was drum machine beat i'm playing this bass line trying to make it sound like cypress hill and like it was four tracks. So it was like that and a track of rapping and with like the microphone stuck in my neck and uh, <laughs> like a sound effect on right, the fourth right. track. And like that was that was the jam. And I was like, oh, we should be doing stuff like this. Like this is like this is so cool and just so much fun. Right. And all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think the big the big tipping point was our we had a drummer and he was this 
he was he was a metal metalhead guy and he was this he was a really good drummer really technical all this kind of stuff and he left our band to play with another band like ah oh, we're down a drummer like what do we do should we find another drummer and i was just like da 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 like i got a drummer in this little box like, let's, <laughs> let's just crank out these fat beats i'm glad that guy left that's <laughs> no disrespect yeah it was for it was for for i mean we were playing a lot of covers at the time too but we were writing originals and stuff and yeah he left to play in like a straight out cover band and we're just like cool Mm. let's do rap music then. <laughs> <laughs> which there was a lot of that at the time like there were a lot of cover bands in Kingston like in the late 80s there was nothing but cover bands and if you did like I had friends in a high school band like if you did a slightly more fuzzed out version of Purple Haze or a reggae version of Hey Joe people would lose it whoa, people whoa, would whoa. be like whoa 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 and so with <laughs> with the bands we always like we were trying to make punk music when I first started making music and I, we realized really quickly we were a sloppy a really sloppy punk band, but if we were a noise punk band, then we sounded way tighter. So we were always sort of like, we weren't really worried about. So I guess the jump from like going, like you said, doing into the rap, you get going into the rap, you get looks of horror, you know, right, I mean? right. like people are like, well, this is a ridiculous thing to do. But we were already like trying to, we'd, we'd already spent years like not doing what not do, doing like you, you, there would be battle bands where like six bands would play the Purple Haze thing. six <laughs> bands would play you know Sunshine Your Love six bands would play Hey Joe when the Tragically Hips which is a big local band here right. um, when their first album came out like six bands did New Orleans is sinking or blow it high dough right and, and then, if you and didn't then, do that that was weird so you <laughs> yeah no we stepped up and then the scene changed like all of a sudden Nirvana is big and, uh, you know, God bless their hearts and, uh, you know, everything changed. Like, it's, oh, it's okay to make original music that was distorted now. So by the time we switched to the rap thing, it wasn't like, I wasn't really worried about like, oh, well, people are going to think this is weird. I remember we sat down and we recorded those first rap tracks on, uh, on, on, uh, and I, like I said before, I was a, like a secret writer. I wrote for years before even busting grandpa out and, uh. They sat down like, okay, we're going to do a rap track. And everybody starts writing lyrics. And I, I sat there and pretended to write lyrics. And meanwhile, <laughs> like, I'd already, good. I'd already <laughs> been <laughs> practicing for like two years. You know what I mean? And I did my verse. And they're like, whoa, that was, whoa. That was, how, that really that was like, way better than <laughs> then. I'm like, well, I've... And that's... People always like, like how, how did you get like, okay at rapping? I'm like, what? I'm like, just write for eight years before <laughs> you ever get on stage. And it'll be hopefully it'll be yeah. okay. You know what I mean? So... Just write for eight years. Yeah. I think I really like I I liked that part of it when we switched to being like, okay, we're gonna do rap. We'd show up to the show and be like, oh, what do you guys? We're like, we're a fucking rap band. Yeah, and they're you like, got and that what? was the thing. You guys like, were the only one in Kingston really at that point. Yeah. you know what I mean. So and people so loved it. That people was like no like, sleep till Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like not only was it like 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 you said, like people would be like like not even the people in your band, but like the people you go to see would be like shocked, be like it was these fucking white guys from buttfuck nowhere Ontario like dropping this crazy rap shit and we're yeah. just like you're goddamn fucking right we're dropping this crazy <laughs> rap shit and bringing little trampolines to shows and doing yeah. like just doing it up and yeah the first time I saw you guys was uh, again in an Irish pub here in Kingston yeah. it was a benefit I think for the Big V which is like a, a sort of out, outdoor uh, music festival you know take a bunch of acid uh, basically uh, a tradition that that had been happening on the outskirts of Kingston they're doing benefits you know to raise money so they could throw it 
And yeah, you guys were playing like with a bunch of other bands. It was like there was a bunch of other bands playing at the, at the Wellington. At the Wellington, I think. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, you guys came up with this drum machine, and it was like, <laughs> like, all right, you guys get ready. Here yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think at that point, every every single track was about smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I, I wonder if Spanky is is code for weed. <laughs> these guys sure like weed. Slaves of weed. Which is, is sort of got phased well, out for other it. topics. So yeah, well, eventually. It's, it's, you're, you're right about what you know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> when you're in high school. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. So when does the bag money come out? Uh, sooner than sooner later. Than later. Sooner than later. This, this album's been in the works for a couple of years almost now. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. It was... We well, the last Grandpa album was 2010, and that came about. We started working together. We started working at yeah. the same place, and we were both just kind of like, "So let's do another one." Yeah, I'm coming. Out? I kind of went three years without even doing a Grandpa show. So yeah, when we started working together, that that we'd see each other on a regular basis hmm. and could uh, work on stuff. Could right? be like, "So yeah, we're gonna record. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna hear some. I'll be like, here's some beats. You got some raps. Let's record these raps." And then yeah, we were like. Like you said, we were doing we were doing shows. Yeah, started doing it was, shows. It was again. grandpa shows, and we'd get you to open first bank here or whatever yeah. at first, and then it started being like footbags and grandpa shows where we yeah. we'd either do two two sets hyping each other up or like a combined set of our combined like solo tracks and that kind of shit, and then we're, yeah, you're just like, well, let's just let's just do this let's do it together, collaborative yeah. album, yeah, and just make it make it a like a collaborative effort, and we started. It was the same thing. I, you know, here's some beats, here's some beats. I put out an album of beats that spanned probably like eight years in 2010. Sir Grumpy Long. Called Sir Grumpy yes. The full name of the album is actually Captain Footbags Presents Sir Grumpy Bumps, starring Captain Footbags as Captain Footbags, <laughs> which is a little, it's a little long in the tooth, so I, it's mostly just called Sir Grumpy Bumps. But a lot of that was just instrumental stuff, stuff I had used, stuff I hadn't used, just loops, ideas, whatever. I was like, I got all this shit. I got I to gotta put something, I got to have it out. So I gave copies to him, and he's he's like, "Oh, I got I got a rap for this one." Yeah. He's like, "Well, I wrote a rap for this one." And I, was, I was like, "Okay, you're like, here we go." And and most, I'd say a good chunk of, of the album that's coming out soon is on beats from yeah. that came out on that beat tape. Yeah. Yeah. Five years. And ago. some of that some of that stuff has been used for slaves. Some of yeah. that you've used for your solo stuff. There's yeah. like forty tracks on that album. Yeah. So and some of it was used for the last Grandpa album. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I sort of went through them like, okay, what haven't we used yet? And found a bunch of beats I liked. Right around the time I think we started doing this, or I started writing, like, I, uh, we moved out to the west, what's known as the west end of Kingston. Uh, so I had like a 28 minute bus ride one day each day. So I just put the beats on in my earbuds and wrote. Like, I'm, I'm sort of a double edged sword. I think we're both like, we don't like to rush things, but we're also could be prone to procrastination, right? So I'm, I'm a, like I said, I took eight years before I busted out Grandpa. There's about six <laughs> years between the first Grandpa album and the second Grandpa album, and there's been six years six since years. that yep. Grandpa album. So we're about due, we're but <laughs> but uh, I, I start once I start writing. It like goes, once yeah. I start writing, it just goes. Like I'm to the point now. Like I never rush it. I can't force it. But, like, we'll be at work, and I'll be like, huh, I've got an idea, and, like, 
five minutes later I'm 12 bars in well, I'll be like I yeah. got 12 bars you know what I mean I don't know how this guy does it he'll be sitting there we'll be at work he'll be we'll be working away he'll be doing his thing and like he'll be like oh he'll just start giggling <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> just, I'm like okay something's happening like something's going on and then he'll just he'll fucking drop like a you know 16 bars and be like I'll admit that I cannot freestyle. I don't. I'm. I'm. I don't believe that I can should personally ever freestyle. In the same way with playing guitar, like I know jazz guys can improvise or whatever. I like writing. Yeah, and I like. But but now I write quicker than I used to. I it's write the really memory. Quick. It's yeah. the memory thing. Like I can come up with a like you know I'll come up with a funny line if I don't write it down immediately. Yeah, it is gone. Yeah, and I'll try and get that back later, and I'm just like, oh, I've got thousands of those. Thousands of those are gone. I don't even bother. Yeah. Like I'm like, fuck it, it's gone. If it if it pops up again cool hopefully i'll be near a pen and a piece of paper but this guy will be like okay here's the hook i just thought up and it'll it'll drop it and he'll be like and then he'll he'll be you know he'll be in the other room and he'll come back like okay here's like eight (laughs) bars and but like seven minutes has gone by or something you know what i mean like i'm and i'm and i'm doing my job at the same time i'm running around doing stuff which i i think the line of work we're in like that's why i've always i've stuck with doing that because it's like I can write in my head while I'm doing my yeah. job you and know it's, I mean? it's the capacity to, to retain it yeah. just boggles my mind I write, I write stuff down like on the phone I, I, I've never really written stuff down that much but I write stuff on the phone because yeah I am afraid of I know I'll forget it now you know what I mean mm-hmm. like so I write stuff down but but uh yeah no I mean it's fun I can't like I if it's not written down like even when I do write my stuff down if I don't do a dummy track or something, I'll yeah. go back to read it later. I'm like, how did I deliver this? Oh yeah. The yeah. first time. And See, I'm like, think... I'll either come up with something else or I'll just like fuck around with it until I luck upon be like, Oh, I said it. Oh, I came in on like, I came in on an upbeat. Oh, I did it. Okay. It sounds a lot better than when I was just doing it. And it was completely whack. See, I think that's, <laughs> you've got the, the luxury. That's what I was talking about. This was Sean the other night. Like you've got the luxury of the studio. So you can write something, put it on track immediately, immediately. Yeah. And then you've got, you can forget about it if you want. And you can go which, back and which go, which I do. Which, <laughs> and I come across tracks and I'm like, that's my voice. When did I do this? Like yeah. I don't, re- I don't remember this verse. I don't remember these hooks. I don't remember recording this. I can't <laughs> find it written down in my rap books anywhere. But there it is. Like there's, <laughs> you know, I got it somewhere. So like I can reuse that. <laughs> Whereas I'll write it and no, I won't get into the studio right away. So I have to obsess or or write or rewrite it or learn it in my head. And so by the time we go in, I'm which works I usually do like one take you know what I mean because by then I've obsessed about it so much that this, this fucking guy this guy right here will come into my studio I'll be like, okay cool let's you know let's let's lay down some tracks and like four hours later we got like a full album yeah yeah, yeah. it's just I'm just like ah, if I could do it that way yeah. and that's what I said so I started riding the bus about a couple of years a few years ago we moved out to this new place I started riding the bus every day we decided to you know uh we decided to do a new album. I was like, okay, I better get writing. And then I just started coming. And then there's actually a track called On the Bus because I was like, that's where I wrote a lot of the the new stuff was just riding the bus every day. So, so yeah, it's it'll come out then. So about a year ago, we put all the... We recorded all uh, just year, over a year, year ago. And a half. Yeah, I think it was January. So we're oh, yeah, okay. a year yeah. and a couple months now. And then... That's right, yeah. Since then, I've written another like at work, dumb giggle concept uh that we got to go in and, and right. record because we got we got probably 80 80 to 90 percent of the album 
record done but yeah. we're like there's a couple other things we want to do we're gonna get some we guest got like spots three in. or four yeah. guest guest yeah. rappers we want to get in and, and do some stuff and it's just kind of that the kind of last yeah round of coordinating things and then i can just sit down and kind of well that was and that was why we recorded last january my big plan which was very just like okay i'm gonna try to do this i had i had my first child last year i had with my, well done on yeah, that. So <laughs> my partner did you know the work part i was there uh but i was like okay i'm gonna have i'm gonna have this kid i, I took like i had this time off of work and all this stuff i was like big if if i have like time on my hands i want to i want to be doing something and I'm, so i was like okay i'll get i'll get grandpa in we'll record his tracks for the album like i can chip away at mine whatever and like you know while i'm while i'm off for a bit and have a, and I might be able to get some stuff done. I did not get that stuff done. Mm, yeah. So like straight, straight up, I did not get that stuff done. So it's, it's spent the last year doing a lot more parenting than, uh, which is a good, good decision. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> rap, and rap that's album the, the al- at one point, like and at the same time, you got a lot of rough mixes done and it's, yeah. I'm really happy with it. And, uh, at the same time, like about a year ago, we were like, well, you know, if I hustle, we can get the album made up, blah, blah, blah. And we both sort of made the decision of, like, it's ready when It'll it's ready. It's ready when it's ready. And yeah. I'd rather, yeah. you know, be happy with it than, like, hear one thing, like, oh, we should have fixed that. And then, yeah. You know what I mean? Or, like, oh, that sounds a little weird. You know what I mean? So it'll be done yeah. when it's done. But I think this year, sometime We're, this year is a good... Uh, totally. Good uh, game plan. I, Not much I'm left. Thinking, I'm think. thinking summer. Yeah. I'm thinking summer for sure. Yeah. Because I'm going to be putting a lot more time into that stuff very soon. So yeah. it's it's summer is not only possible it's probable yeah and the same i used to work a lot more than i do now and uh, i'm just working one job instead of two and uh we had to move well and I'm we, s- we spent the yeah. the winter moving right yeah. so we spent we did a slow move which is again a double-edged sword you know it's like you don't have to do everything right away but at the same time you're doing it slowly so i got a lot more time now to exactly to get over and wrap both, things up we're know? both kind of in a place right now we're like okay we can kind of push on this again yeah. and, and get get some stuff done get it get it you know where get the things finished that we still need to finish and then kind of get it all together and get it nice and get it out there. And I'm, I'm starting to do more video stuff as well. So we're going to try and get like, you know, have the album, have video, have like, get like a bunch of things and just, there you go. Yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to mention? Thanks for having us, man. It's, uh, it's, it's a treat and an honor, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Oh, Likewise. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I've, been, I've been following the yeah, exactly, Heights right? world since yes. episode one. Nice guys, am I right? See you next week. <laughs>